Today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use the ones in the seat in front of you and open to page 896. 896. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. I hope uh, everyone's doing okay, uh, especially because of the power outage that many of you may have experienced. And I'm glad to see so many of you here this morning. And it is my privilege uh, to preach the Word of God to you. I just, before I start, I wanted to announce something because we won't have our members meeting until September. But I wanted to share with you that we have a new staff member. And she just read the scripture for us. So Christine Park has come up as an assistant to the pastor. Christine, can you just stand up again? That's her. I want to welcome you. And so now we have three uh, assistants, um, Sam, Chunsug, and Christine. And now they're outnumbered two to one. Uh, sorry, Chunsug. Like, Chunsug is the serious one in the group. And... Um, yeah, we have two more jokers. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm very happy to have Christine on board, and it's a joy for me now uh, to preach the Word of God. Let's pray. O God, source of all light, by your Word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that by being taught by you in the Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open now to know the things that pertain to life and holiness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So I wanted to start off by saying it's not easy being a Christian, uh, especially today. It's not easy being a Christian. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, I think so. And to, and to what degree, uh, we'll just briefly go over. Uh, there are external attacks external attacks to Christians, and of course we see this in varying degrees and methods around the world. Uh, Christians in China or Iran would face uh, very real external threats and persecution. I saw this one woman 
uh, a picture of this one woman in China jailed and her hand was on uh, some table because they were doing something to her fingernails, either pulling them out or what they also do, I heard, is that you jab things in between the fingernails to separate them. For decades, they had been doing things like this to Christians in North Korea, China, and even Iran. And now we'll see um, news agencies reporting of uh, things like this happening to Uyghur Muslims in China as well. Um, there are other things that we can go through, the externalities and uh, the things that Christians have faced throughout the millennia, like now disease and pestilence. Because of this, it's really hard to meet. And while I'm very happy that so many of you have showed up, there is a real fear that many people have of perhaps getting or contracting this disease and even dying from it. And so there are external things that would threaten us as Christians from the fellowship that God has prepared for us, for his saints in the church. So that's why I'm saying it's not easy to be a Christian today, but in this passage that was read, I think there is something even greater that Paul is getting at in the external sense, and this is what we have been going through to the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians in current day, I believe it is difficult to be a Christian because there are so many different views on so many different things. I can give you even an, a, a current example on epidemiology. Apparently now everybody is an expert in this field and everybody knows exactly what drug to take, what drug not to take, how to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Everybody's an expert. But so even on this finite, minute thing. Everybody has so many different views and so many different things. But I believe the Christian belief has been attacked as non-scientific or unscientific, unintelligent, small-minded, narrow-minded, anti-progressive, bigoted, hateful. Or maybe it's as what Paul says, how the world sees the gospel as foolishness. These are the externalities or the external threats that Christians face. And it's not easy being a Christian today. And on one dimension, we see that Christians, even though it's a vast, varying, many degrees of uh, this external dimension, it is one big dimension that we should acknowledge. But there is another dimension that we should acknowledge. And this is what we'll get into this morning and that is internal. And the word that Paul uses for the internal attacks that we receive is sarkanos, which means flesh, people of the flesh. So you see the Corinthian church was being attacked from the external front and the internal front, and they were failing on both ends. And as a result, all kinds of sins were occurring. And now Paul is going to deal with one sin after another sin after another. And this manifestation of sin, or the disease that we see is the cause from this sin, is division. Division is a sin. And while I will contend that there are nuances and varying degrees and combinations of other sins, the bottom line is that division is a sin. And I'm going to divide this passage from verses 1 through 4 and 5 through 9 in two big parts, but we'll try to get to every single verse 
in verse-by-verse order. And today's passage started with, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul gets into this passage with a but, and it's connecting to the statement prior. But I could not address you as, and spiritual people is from the word pneumaticos. And pneumaticos is what we have seen before. These, this word has been used in the verses before. And in, verses, in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, this is how it read. And we went over this last week. I just want to give a brief review because this is connected with the but here in verse 1. In verse 14, it says, The natural person, which is psychikos, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, which is the word pneumaticos. The spiritual person, in verse 15, the spiritual person is also the word pneumaticos. Pneumaticos judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And so, in verse 14, it started with the word psychikos, Psychikos is spelled like how it sounds, like psychology, which we're, we're, where we get Aristotle made and defined this word called psyche, which is the mind and body. But psychikos here isn't about the mind, soul, and things like psychology. And ironically, now psychology means something like of the mind or of the deep things of the soul. But psychikos, what it really means, means natural. It means finite. It means what it says here. And psychikos is also used in James chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. And I'll read that for you. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Earthly, unspiritual is psychikos, demonic. And these are used synonymously with each other. Earthly, psychikos, demonic. Paul couldn't address the Corinthians as pneumaticos, spiritual people, not because they were only psychikos or unspiritual or natural or finite, but because they are, and it says in verse 1, sarkinos, people of the flesh. And this is an important distinction to make before we continue on with the verses. Because before we heard that these people, the church, the church are, are already tele, teleos or pneumaticos. That means they are already mature or they are already spiritual people. But he can't address them as such because they are Sarkinos, and he addresses them not as mature, and we'll see a contrast going on here. They, even though he calls them mature, he treats them like infants. Even though they are people of the spirit, pneumaticos, he treats them like sarkinos, people of the flesh. And this might be a little confusing, but that's why the distinction has to be made. There is an understanding that while you are people of the Spirit, you can still be functioning as people of the flesh. You can be people of God and yet still function as people of the world. And this is exactly what Paul is addressing. I can't treat you like spiritual people, 
but I'm going to treat you like worldly people. I can't treat you as mature, but as infants. And why? Why? In verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. When was this? For a year and a half, the Apostle Paul spent time with the Corinthian church. He was teaching them. He expounded the whole Bible to them. And he was teaching the Corinthian church, of course, because they were new Christians as infants. As infants. So he fed them with milk. And then he goes, and even now you are not ready. Even now, which is three years later, after he has taught them for a year and a half, after he leaves, three years later, he's saying, you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Verse 3, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? How do you know that you are still of the flesh? How do you know? Because you act like people of the flesh. You have jealousy and strife among you. That is an earthly wisdom. That is a human wisdom. That is not the way of Christ. And we are, as I said in the end of chapter 2, we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. But you don't act like it. You don't act like you have the mind of Christ. Verse 4, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? So factionism is a human mechanism. It is not godly. Paul indeed is a great apostle. And so was Apollos. Apollos was a great man. Who was Apollos? In Acts chapter 18, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. That's crazy, but that's true. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the, God, the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. There are few in the Bible, if any, that are mentioned like Apollos in the New Testament. It is a, it's natural, honestly, it's natural for people to like one person over another, but that's precisely Paul's point. It's natural to like one person over another. The natural, unspiritual person does these things. Not the spiritual, not the pneumaticos. And so factionism manifests itself in a variety of ways, and most currently we see this play out in what we can see as identity politics. There are many ways it plays out, but one thing that has been put in the limelight today is identity politics. Identity politics is where you create factions according to a classification of your own choosing. And I define it this way because I want to explain to you, I am a minority 
And so I can choose to relate myself with other minorities to form a coalition to promote what I believe to be my faction's agenda. And I personally added, of your choosing, now because that's what it really is. It's of your choosing. And so the search and struggle really isn't what unites us in this nation. The search and the struggle isn't really what unites us in this nation, but rather it's more about what separates us, what separates us and how we are not equal according to the factions that are being set up. So we're setting up factions and we're saying these things that we are setting up are not equal. It starts out with minority representation to perhaps even women to now sexual identification or orientation, gender identification. And I could, in all seriousness, I could make a faction called the Eugenites and show statistics. I could show you statistics that people named Eugene don't get as much recognition as people named Matt or even a name like Jafar. In fact, I know of this one Jafar that made it to the highest position in his nation, although it was acquired through nefarious means. There is, um, there is a, uh, a news agency called Vox, and Vox's editors would write about how identity politics is actually good because it helps, it helps progressivism, because we could take marginalized groups and exact effort to elevate each of these groups. And the picture you might see in this kind of explanation is like we can see this faction or this group has six donuts. And this other faction has two donuts. So what you want to do is you want to take two donuts, two donuts from the faction that has six, and give it to the other faction that has two. And now these factions both have four donuts. Um, both would have four that you would think. And that's fair. That's equal. That's equity. Only now, as you continue to study this and continue to see how this is played out, we see that not every person belongs to only one faction. In fact, one person can belong to many factions, many identity groups, perhaps even a plethora of identity groups. And then the response is, look, all we're really trying to say with identity politics is that we just want equal treatment. And perhaps you heard some kind of statement like that. We just want equal treatment. Is that so wrong? We just want justice, equal treatment. Is that so wrong? And I want to point out that the irony of that statement is that while further dividing people according to class, social status, economic status, sex, gender, people claim they want equity. So the they want to further divide people in factions, and then they want equity, not unity. Not unity. Further division isn't a call for unity. Factionism is, in fact, the opposite of unity by its very nature. And yet in the confusion of the world, the sheer folly to exercise, to have equity without unity is exactly what Paul is saying. That's sarkanos. That is the struggle for people of the flesh. And the Bible teaches us something completely opposite, completely different from this. The Bible teaches that we are not further divided, but that we are united. 
And not only are we united in something, but we are unified to someone. And how far we've come from the unifying truth of Christ in today's world. And so when you create factions in the church, even if it was something seemingly innocuous, like, I like Pastor Paul. I like Piuge. Aren't you being people of the flesh? Ultimately, people of the flesh are selfish. Sarkinos means you are selfish. And we saw this in James. Jealousy and strife are caused by selfish ambition. It really is exactly what Nietzsche was getting at. He really only saw the world as Sarkinos. He really only saw the world as people struggling for power. It's all power plays. The will to power. We want power. That's why these groups exist to get power, which is a little different from uh, Darwinism. Darwinism is the struggle to live. But this is the struggle for power. They're both wrong, by the way. But we won't get into that too much. Uh, And so... That is what we say is sarkanos. These are the fleshly people's struggles. It's because we have selfish ambition, as James says. So the disease of division is really a manifestation of selfishness. That is what is at the heart of carnality or fleshly desires. Uh, The podcast that... Eugene mentioned when he was giving the announcements, the podcast that our church has been recently going over are the uh, doctrines of grace, a.k.a. the five points of Calvinism. And when we were at the first point, the first point is total depravity. Parents of young children that heard the podcast would share with me how they have no problem with this doctrine. Like, Piuge, I have no problem with this doctrine of total depravity because they literally see it manifest in their kids. When you can only think about yourself, regardless of who it will affect, who it will hurt, that is selfishness. In fact, the words that I heard are the effect of... um, my baby is actually the most selfish, right? When, when you constantly look at them, they're like, this actually, my baby is the most selfish. And teachers who teach nursery school have their work cut out for them. Uh, it's not just one or two kids in the house that they have to deal with, but a whole group of these guys, because there's a million toys in the room, but there's just that one toy that every single kid wants and they have a pile on, right? And that's, Selfishness. And so when you would even pride yourself over identity politics or factionism, like the people of today or the people of Corinth, Paul says, that's why I can only give you milk. You have a whole church fighting over a little ball. You can be an infant if you're a new Christian. That's when milk is proper then you do need milk. But the sad part is you've been going to church for years and years and you've had nothing else but milk. Just give me the simple answer to these verses. Give me the shallow understanding. Don't stay too long on one verse, Puge. 
You know, how sad would it be if you saw a 20-year-old only able to digest milk? You wouldn't celebrate it. You would be horrified. You would feel sorry for that person. Just give me the quick application so that I could get hyped and I can say, oh, if I change this one thing about my life, I'm good. And Paul is going, don't you desire meat? Don't you want to dig into the deep things of God that has been revealed in his word? But you're still only able to digest milk because you are not acting like spiritual people. When you would rather hold on to the ideologies and philosophies of the world than the holy writ of the canon. When you would say these things like, it's just too hard for me to follow God's ways. You are not spiritual people. And this perilous disease threatened to break up the church of Corinth as it does the church of today. This is the kind of incredible exhortation that's given to the Corinthians so that he could treat them like a spiritual person rather than a carnal person. And this isn't contrary to the Lord's teaching in the Bible, okay? In chapter 2, we went over how you are mature, how you are spiritual, which is the position that you are in. You just don't act like it, which means the function that you are showing isn't the position that you are in. And if you don't act like it, then you'll be treated like the carnal person you act like. And this is where we see church discipline. Jesus himself says in Matthew 18, if he refuses to even listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, which is like the worst thing you could have said to the Jew at the time. Let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. That's the worst of the worst. Treat him like that. Jesus Christ himself says it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, by rejecting this, some some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. Wow, you're like, whoa, that's kind of extreme. Are we going to hand over anybody to Satan? I mean, I hope not. But this is what was happening. He handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So when you act like a carnal person, you are treated like a carnal person. When you act like a psychicos, you are treated like sarkinos. Because you could see that you are acting like this, and then you will be treated like this. And this discipline is done so that you will see that, oh, I can't follow the ways of the world. I can't just follow into lust. I can't just stay in my bitterness. And we talked about that last week, about if you know the way of Christ It's not about social justice. It's not about reparations. It's what Jesus Christ has taught us, which is above any kind of worldly measure or scheme or ideology. It's about forgiveness. That's impossible with the ways of the world. But Jesus makes it possible by saying, even in the parable, this person, this servant has been forgiven like a million dollars. And so you go around forgiving people who owe you 20 bucks. This is the way of Christ. And if you're not acting like Christ-like disciples, then you'll be treated like an infant, like Sarkanos. So, 
What's the cure? What's the cure to this? In verse 5, what, remember he says what, not who. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. The word here, servants through whom you believe, servants is deacon. It's diakonoi. This is where we get the word deacon. And what does deacon mean? In Acts 6, it's also used. When Peter goes, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Serve tables is the word deacon. Deacon means to serve tables. A deacon, and it's not like a waiter that you would think of today. Back then, there, there wasn't anybody that would come, excuse me, what's your order? And then they didn't say stuff like that. A deacon was someone that bust tables. A deacon was a busboy. And that's what Paul calls himself and Apollos. He calls themselves busboys. They are busboys through whom you believed in the Lord. You know why? Because God is the one that prepared the meal. God is the one that cooked it. God is the one that put the ingredients together. God is the one that's feeding to you. Paul and Apollos are just people that brought them to the table and cleaned up after you. And it's according to how God directed them. The cure to the disease of division is to not recognize the busboy. The busboy is nothing. Don't recognize the deacon. Don't exalt the minister. The cure to this disease is to recognize that we all glorify the true and one God. When you exalt the minister, you miss the point. The minister may be servants through whom you've believed, but to exalt the minister is to exalt the cup that brings you the water of life. Imagine you have this cup and the water of life is in it and you're like, oh, this cup is so beautiful. How crazy is that when it contained the water of life? And to exalt the ministers will be exactly that, to throw out its contents, to throw out the cup's contents. Don't honor me. Don't compare ministers. Don't create factions. Rather, honor God. And I should make this caveat and this note that this should go without saying that faithful men are vital to the ministry. To not have a faithful minister is not to have a cup at all. Of course, you need a cup, but you don't exalt the cup. But this should point to the fact that it is God who brings forth the fruit of any labor. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's God who gives the growth. What is Apollos? What is Paul? And this what takes attention away from the who. It's taking attention away from the preacher and concentrates on the functions that they have. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. And so as you even labor as ministers, know this. God pays for the labor, not success. You may toil and struggle, but God promise you, promises you payment for your labor. You know, uh, this story has stayed with me, and I've mentioned it maybe one or two times up here from the pulpit. 
But when I went to Japan, um, I think it was either the first or second time I've ever gone there, a missionary shared with me how he struggles to be there. It's such a struggle to be a missionary in Japan because he's been there for over 20 years and he saw no converts, no converts. And it's not like he's lazy. And you could see he's toiling, and he was sharing. He was in literal tears, saying he was not seeing converts. And he also shared this story of how this one reputable missionary stayed there for 60 years, and he saw one convert, and how that was his dream. His dream was to at least see one convert before he dies in Japan. And those are the kind of people that are going to Japan. And I went with the group at the time. And I thought, you know, this is what I seriously thought at the time. I thought the way that we convert, that's important. You use the fanciful technologies that you have. You use the media that you have. You can use the lights, the screens, the exciting music, the volume, the noise. Until you see this. I see now how it falls short of the truth of what the scriptures teach us. It's not the medium that is to be exalted. And if you've been to Japan with me year after year after year, we've seen this entirely true. As great as your medium or media is, it does not produce converts. It produces hype men. I mean, it produces, like, people that get excited for you, that want to be cool with you and hang out with you, but it does not produce Christians. And we see it even in the way Paul words his arguments. In verse 6, Apollos watered, right? Apollos watered. It's the exact same verb used in verse 2 when Paul says that he fed them with milk, fed, watered, that's the same Greek word. Ministers do the same thing. We teach or we serve the word of God. I went through uh, Acts chapter 6, and when Peter goes, uh, we shouldn't uh, spend time perhaps too much on, uh, what do you call it? Waiting tables, excuse me. But he also says we should spend time in prayer and the ministry of the word in chapter 6. Ministry, that word, is also the word deacon. You're supposed to deacon the word. And so we see that the ministers do the same thing. Teach and you deacon the word of God. You busboy the word of God. You serve the word of God. In verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. In this final verse, God is used three times and it precedes every object in the sentence. In the Greek, it's placed and it would have read like this. If you're reading the, the Greek word for word, it would read like this. God's fellow workers we are, God's field, God's building are you. God's fellow workers we are, God's field, God's building are you. Before Yoda, there was Paul. So, but it's putting the emphasis on what? The divine action. 
The emphasis is on the divine action. Ministers and those that are serving are no more than God's instruments. What our focus should be on is the word of God because we are the people of God. We have the spirit of God. That means we are controlled and owned by the spirit. We're not controlled and owned by the flesh any longer. So stop acting like it. Don't you see, you have a great call in, ver- in chapter 1. You have a great call. You've been given a call to be holy ones, saints according to Christ, called according to his purpose. Why are we acting like the world? Why are we letting divisions come in? Why are we carnal just like the world is carnal why does the church hold these things we should not and so what eliminates carnality in the church get the attention off of yourselves get the attention off of me and onto him get the attention to one that deserves to receive all the glory all the praise all the honor That's the cure. That's how you do it in your life personally as well. And that's how you do it in the church. When you continue to have a life of selfishness, you'll see yourself reverting. It's not not just now you're gliding down in neutral because you decided not to put any pedal to the gas. You're actually stopped and you've put yourself in reverse and now there's a regression. That's why I'm saying if you stop fellowshipping with the saints if you stop reading god's word and being transformed by it every time you listen to a sermon if it's not challenging then you have to either wonder is the sermon really being rightly preached or am i really acting like i'm dead because every time we see the perfect word of god it should contrast and hit us because we are not perfect so that we can be made more perfect what eliminates this carnality is get the attention off of yourselves, off of me, and unto God. That's how we are to be. That's the call of saints. Let's pray.